of the Turbo Team Podcast with Jake Brand. Don't you go anywhere near that! Ben Neeson. Like just being caught metaphorically with your pants down. And Alex Powell. Do you know I saw those cute one time? Tommy Gun. Reviewing and breaking down movies and TV shows from all genres. This is the Turbo Team Podcast. Hello and welcome back to week nine of the Turbo Team Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brend, and this week we've got the regulars plus one more. But first, let's shoot it over to Ben and Alex. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Jake. How are you? Pretty good. Could be could be a little better, but I am ready to, to be on the show to talk a little bit of gambling. Ben, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine and dandy like cotton candy. Thanks for asking. Oh, hi, Ned. <laughs> and we've got our neighborino on today. His name's Isaac Dykey, friend of the program, now on the show. How are you doing, Isaac? Oh, it's an honor to finally be on, you know? We do. Sick. <laughs> why, why are you honored, Isaac? Oh, just just great podcast, great great chemistry, you know, the usual. Thanks, we try. We have a TikTok yeah. star, and it's just... Well, it's an honor to have you on, Isaac. So today we are doing kind of a dual episode. We're going to be reviewing Uncut Gems, the movie uh, starring Adam Sandler, and we're also going to be reviewing ESPN 30 for 30's documentary, uh, The Last Dance, that finished airing last week. Two weeks Both... ago. Oh, yeah. Two weeks ago. Jeez. Time flies. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, it's two movies that are directly related through basketball and even through some sports gambling. So I'm, I'm ready to talk about it before we do though. Um, uncut gems is a movie directed by the, the softy brothers starring Adam Sandler, Julia Fox, Lakeith Stanfield and former NBA star and hall of famer, Kevin Garnett. I looked it up and it didn't win any major awards. I think at like a smaller indie Indie Award, uh, Adam Sandler won Best Male Actor, but other than yeah, that, it, it, it wasn't a nominated for very many big Academy Awards. Yeah, it that on uh, talking about the awards, that was one thing with this movie was it was snubbed. It didn't get a single Oscar nomination, which was a lot of people are kind of surprised about. Best Picture I get, but it wasn't nominated for Best Screenplay, Best Adaptation, Best Actor, nothing. It didn't get a single nod, which I think most people that saw the movie uh, found kind of surprising. Well, didn't it get good reviews? Yeah, it got good reviews, but oh, yeah. yeah, but not necessarily any awards. The two don't always go hand in hand, which a lot of them they do, but for this movie, mm-hmm. I guess not. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's get into what we liked. I I like the majority of this movie. I do have a couple critiques, but I think uh, Alex has some, or sorry, Ben definitely really likes this movie from what I've heard from him, and I want to hear what he has to talk about with this. All right. Well, I originally saw this movie back early in its theatrical for release when it had initially came out and I didn't know a whole lot about it besides the teaser spots and just uh, the fact that uh, Adam Sandler doing a serious role generates lots of buzz especially when the reviews were raving when it was first co- when it first came out 
And when I first saw it in theaters, I was just kind of grabbed instantly and sucked into this world of chaos, really, that is um, that is the jewelry store and how anxiety-ridden the whole film is throughout with multiple people talking at once, uh, music blaring almost the entire time, and just a whole myriad of different events that spiral and make the story more and more complicated although it's quite simple and just a jewelry store trying to stay afloat and uh yeah i really enjoyed it yeah i really i really liked how the story was as simple as a guy pretty much addicted to gambling and addicted to screwing people over but also how many different directions they took that to make it a complex story regarding his family life, his his affairs, his relationships with friends, and pretty much, I mean, just life and death. I thought they did a really good job of taking just, like, a few simple bets of a lot of money and making it so complex. Isaac, what did you think about the movie? Um, I liked uh, pretty much all of it. Um, what I kind of liked is um, the main character just has, like, this jewelry store, and, like, what kind of, like... Just, like popped out was he has like really good faith too he chose him like a couple of jewish events and like festivals and like he even has a dinner with his family i think and kind of like stood out to me that it's like this guy of faith but he's still doing stuff like gambling and of course gets in with like the loan sharks and it's just really different to see from a movie what i also liked was he's a knicks fan which is a little <laughs> detail but you know you gotta throw it out go knicks like yeah go knicks Franchise has been down since Patrick Ewing left. Good year in 2013, I guess. Well, insanity. Uh, I didn't even, yeah. No, that was the year Mello went off. Well, isn't this movie based in 2012? Yeah, it's around that time. It, it was. So it, I think it happened the year of Insanity, actually. Because there's a scene where they're talking about they're it. Like, towards it the yeah. Um, well, if it, like, if the movie was based in, like, 2012, in the 2012-2013 season, the Knicks weren't bad. They made it yeah, to... They were, they were pretty, they were pretty good at all the, all the mellow years, but the last one, I want to say. Yeah. But well, the last hey, one or two. Yeah. Like, I think when this is taking place, in, like, real life, the Knicks made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think, I don't think that was real. Hey, what's this podcast really about? Come on now. Yeah, yeah movies yeah. are sports. Yeah, yeah we, can, we can move on from the Knicks. Alex, what's some stuff you liked about it? Um, I thought this, I thought it was shot really well. The coloring was really the coloring really fit the mood of the whole thing. It was kind of dark and ominous and like there's a few I really liked the 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 shot that the Safety brothers seemed to love throughout this was that whole like zooming in on like like really really zooming in on stuff you know what i'm talking about so like they really zoomed in in the beginning they really zoomed in on the on the the jewel and then they really zoomed in on the gunshot wound at the end and i think they had like one more zoom in when kevin garnett's holding it in the locker room before game six or seven or whatever it was so i really liked i thought that shot was really cool and it, like it looked good and stylistically i thought it was like a good choice and it shot well uh julia fox um perfect role uh, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, I, I don't know. I'll be honest. Uh, I think you guys all like this more than I did. 
I can uh, I can have more negatives to say about uncut gems than I do the positives. I thought Adam Sandler did really well, honestly. Uh, you know, we're all used to you know him from Grown Ups and Jack and Jill and Happy Gilmore and all that. So I thought I thought him and I think he's this is only like a second or third dramatic role. Uh, I think, and like I think his first was like Punch Drunk Love, but even that was like kind of a comedy, and so this was kind of his first like serious role, and he I thought he did a really good job. He seems kind of like he might be taking kind of the Steve Carell route, where he did comedy for so long, you want to kind of branch off and to do more serious stuff, and but he's always his roots are always going to be in comedy, but he kind of did as much as he wanted to do with that, and now he's going to you know get get into more serious stuff, so. I thought he did a, had a really good performance. I thought he shouldn't have been nominated for Best Actor. Uh, and then Kevin Garnett was surprisingly a good actor too. I thought I thought yes. his character playing himself was surprisingly like realistic. Even though I, I don't know I don't know how hard it would be for him because like this is based on a, a true story, right? No, it's it's original, but it's it's got it realistic takes, elements. Yeah, yeah, and okay. it includes real games. Okay. Well, so like, I don't know how hard it would be to like play Kevin Garnett. It's like when the casting was like, "Hey, Kevin, so your role is yourself, but eight years ago, do you think you can do that?" Like, I don't know. I'm not. None of us are actors, so I don't know how hard that would be. But I thought he did really well. But like I said, I think I have a little more. Like the performances are good. I didn't really care for the story. I thought. Uh, I got confused, but I'll get more into that when we tackle the negatives. So as far as positives go, I thought it, the movie looked good, and I thought the acting was good. Um, so me and Jake kind of talked about it. It was like um, Kevin Garnett, but they also had like Joel Embiid was going to do the role, or like even Stoudemire. Like, do you think one of them should have done the role, or did you like Garnett? I think I think Kevin Garnett was perfect for it. Yeah, I can't I can't really picture many players playing it better than Garnett did. I think I don't think Amari Sotomayor is a big enough name to do it, though. Like, a lot of people know who Kevin Garnett is. Like, not, not like, casual NBA fans don't really know who Amari Sotomayor is or, like, how good he was. But casual NBA fans, like, know who Kevin Garnett is, know how dominant he was for so long, know how big of an impact he had. So I thought Kevin Garnett. And they also, Kevin Garnett has more of an off-the-court personality than Joel Embiid or Amari Stoudemire. Like, Kevin Garnett's personality is, like, he's really ferocious and an intense guy, and I thought that fit the movie really well. While Embiid, while he is, fero- like, while he is, like, intense, he's also, like, he also tries to be funny a lot, and I don't think that would fit. And Amari Stoudemire is more of, like, a serious, like, laid-back guy, and I also don't think that would have fit the role. So I think well, I think Kevin Garnett was the perfect player to cast. Imagine, like, Stoudemire, like, walking into, like, the shop with, like, J.R. Smith, though. Like that would that would work. Like you just want to see would, a Knicks dog. Yeah, yeah. Shut up, Isaac. This isn't a this isn't a basketball. This is movie podcast. I think I'm just saying. I think J.R. Smith would have fit. The J- role that's what I'm saying. Than Smith. Smith. But yeah. I still don't think Smith would have fit the role better than Garnett because Smith also has that kind of aloof personality where he, yeah, he probably gambles and spends a lot of money on jewelry, but also I don't know if I can see him like being in the intense kind of kind of role that Garnett was. And I think there's not a lot of players that could could fit the role like Garnett. Like Kobe Bryant's one of them. Kobe yeah. could have done it. Michael, even even Allen Iverson. But yeah, I think I think they made the right choice going with Garnett because one, he's bigger than all those three guys, so. Even if you aren't necessarily an NBA fan or a basketball fan, you're gonna know like 
oh, this dude's seven foot tall. He's a basketball yeah. player. Like, this is real. Opposed to, like, if Allen Iverson walks in there and he's shorter than Lakeith Stanfield, <laughs> like, people yeah. might not know that he's a real basketball player. If if they're not familiar with the sport in general. Like, I'm trying to... Glass. I, I, like, I'd like to think I have a pretty good knowledge of, like, NBA players from past and present, but I just, I'm, I'm trying to think of guys that would be good in this role, and I just don't think, I, I don't, none of them, like, yeah, I think Kobe and MJ would fit just because of their intensity, but, like, I think, like, like I said before, I think Kevin Garnett was the perfect, like, basketball player to cast in this. Although I would, I think, I know what you're getting at, Isaac, and I think I would have preferred if they had, like, an actual Knicks player, because I think... The fact that Kevin Garnett was in a playoff series in Philadelphia while and in Boston, he was like, I, I I thought it was weird that he kept going out of his way to go to New York City. I don't know how far New York is is from Boston or Philadelphia. I think they said it's like two hours from Philly, but yeah. still, like he's playing for the Celtics. So I thought it was weird that he was like always like he was in New York a lot, which he's an NBA player. I'm sure he has ways to get to to and from places quickly. But I think I I I, I like I agree where you're going for, and I think if they did use a new Knicks player, it would have been. Uh, a lot more realistic, but I thought Kevin Garnett was perfect. Even like a Brooklyn player, maybe, but like they've never really had that like an outsta- outstanding player, you know. Like they did trade with the Celtics, like they got Garnett and like Pierce, but like they've never really had like a good player in their prime, you know. Except this year, of course. Yeah, it yeah. is just All right. it is just a little a little detail that's off just by having that that Celtics player, but. It's whatever. I think Garnett was perfectly casted. Yeah. What I we're running a little long, but uh, is there anything else noteworthy that we liked? Because I I think we've pretty much touched on everything I liked about the movie. As far as I think the one thing I really liked was just the intensity of it. I don't Adam Sandler movies. One, they're usually lighthearted and supposed to be funny, and I think they did a really good job of like not having very many of those moments in this movie, just with the stakes of it, betting a hundred thousand dollars on a basketball game, ripping off brokers. Like the stakes in this movie were extremely high. And as you saw late in the movie, spoiler alert, this is a spoiler podcast, of course, Howard Mm -hmm. Ratner dies. So I think the fact that it was super intense from the start all the way to the end. And one thing that is always mentioned when talking about this movie is, wow, it gave me anxiety like the last 30 minutes. And I, I haven't watched very many movies like this where it gave me that much anxiety and like gave me the shakes. And I think that they did that really well. And that anxiety wasn't, wasn't an accident. It was on purpose and it, it was for moving with gambling at very high stakes. Okay, uh, I got I got a positive, and then uh, Ben will get to yours. Uh, my positive is uh, once is once again Julia Fox. Okay, Ben, uh, do your positives. <laughs> All right, thank you for that thorough point. Um, for <laughs> me, <is> <laughs> uh, the music is phenomenal in this. Yeah, it's very synth wavy, uh, building ambient. It's an ambient score that is oftentimes heightened in the mix well farther than it should be in any normal film. And I think that just sort of like puts us in the scene that they're in, because although the music is definitely detached from what's happening in the actual scene, uh, you feel a lot more a part of it. You get swept up in this moving current of sound that keeps pushing the movie forward. So it almost feels like you're being propelled forth 
by the music uh, through the events of the film, which don't cease to, to stop, which never cease. They just continue and build throughout the movie. And also another uh, emphasis on your point about Kevin Garnett being a fantastic actor in this movie. Um, when I initially saw it, I just like thought of it more of a, oh yeah, just another celebrity being in a movie. I mean, it's not that big of a deal like for him to be okay in this movie. But rewatching it, it's not all the points about getting jacked up and like having huge yelling, like screeching matches, like to be an actor and get psyched up for his game or whatever. A lot of his real in-depth acting performances comes from uh, when he's invested in the gem and he's very clearly captured by it. Um, his frustration with uh, Howard and just his whole attitude throughout the movie of um, confused in this whole world that he just became a part of just out of sheer fact of infatuation with the gem, which spoiler alert is also Howard. It's not just the actual gem. So yeah, that was pretty neat. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I specifically liked all the scenes with Garnett in it, but yeah, I thought Garnett was really good in this movie and he wasn't just like a celebrity cameo. He was actually like a pretty solid actor Especially for our first movie. So, Alex, what didn't you like about it? Okay, so I, I want to start out with... So, a lot of your guys' positives is you really loved how they did the intensity. And actually, that was my biggest takeaway from it was... I. So, as someone that... I get pretty... Like, when there's a lot of noise and, like, talking... Like, if, like if we're in a group of people and there's, like, three different conversations going on, I'm a person that gets really overwhelmed easy. And I... And... The beginning of Uncut Gems, I got so overwhelmed because the music was so loud and there were so many conversations and people talking going on and the music was so loud I could barely hear the conversation and focus on what they were saying. I got I got too overwhelmed. I like I almost had to turn the movie off. I'm like I can't if this is gonna be like this the whole movie I can't watch it because I can't I can't hear what they're saying and I know what they're going for. They're trying to get it. They're trying the Safdie brothers are trying to make it like we're actually there like listening to this conversation and we they want us to feel the intensity that the characters are and I get that but it's just. I think they overdid it to the point where I can't I can't like pretend like I'm being there because I'm so overwhelmed by the stylistic choices you guys are using to present this that I can't pay attention and instead I want to I want to back off a bit. Like I don't watch a movie to feel overwhelmed. I, I watch a movie to to like relax and like see something that's going to make me think a bit or like I'll enjoy it or I'll talk about it. And I just didn't like the intensity they had in the first like there's like 20 minutes 25 minutes i was like i i can't i was like having to like really push through it i'm like maybe it'll get better so i just you guys you guys like the intensity but to me the intensity was in the beginning was i think at the most high uh personally it was just the music and just the sound mixing i just didn't care for it also i didn't think the sound mixing was that good like ben you talked about how you liked the music i thought I thought the music was good, but the actual, like, dialogue, I thought, wasn't mixed very well. Like, sometimes I thought, like, background chatter was too loud to the point where, like, you could barely hear the main characters talk. Uh, so I was just, like, that was mostly in the beginning. I think the movie kind of fixed that towards there, or I could be it enjoyable. But also, I just didn't feel engaged with the plot. I don't know why. I like, I like you know, suspenseful movies. I love sports. But for some reason, like, there's just something about this movie that i just i just didn't care 
like you guys talk about how the end like it's really like jake you said there's like you never felt then like much intensity or like anxiousness watching a movie but i was the last 30 minutes i was just like i mean okay like yeah they're running against the clock but it's nothing that i haven't seen from a movie before so i just i don't, I don't know there's just i didn't really care for it because i it, it was the intensity in the beginning kind of kind of made me really anxious and then and then the end i thought the plot also, I thought there was like too much going on at once. Like, there's too many plot points. Like, there was the little Keith Sandfield plot point. There was a Kevin Garnett plot point. There was like the Lone Sharks plot point. There's a plot point with his like family, and there's a plot point with his mistress. And there's just too much going on that I had trouble actually like figuring out. Like at one point, I was like, what? What's the purpose of this movie? Like, what? What's the end goal? What's the main plot? It was that like they're betting. He was betting a lot of money on this game with Kevin Garnett, and it's just I don't know. There's just a lot about it. I I really didn't care for and but like like in my positive stylistically i thought it looked good and so it kept me interested uh also his wife was an awful character i she didn't have hardly any lines and i didn't really care when she did and also his kid he had like three kids and we barely like learned anything about yeah. him. i thought that i thought that was a weird like i get focusing on the mistress because she's more connected to the plot but like he has a whole family and we're just gonna ignore that like like we'll show them but they won't say anything that's meaningful to the story and so uh, that those were just some of the main things i had wrong with it so i'll let someone else go now i kind of have like a couple of questions that weren't really brought up kind of like the first one was when he pawns the ring he also has like a 72 73 nicks ring too we're not, not really told how he got it ever you know he's just kind of like had it, had it at the beginning and no one really like one really like um like told us how he like got it and everything and then kind of like the second one kind of piggy but piggybacking off of alex's it was he um he also had an apartment like in new york but like we're never told like why he has the apartment which i kind of just thought it was just so he could cheat on his wife but like because his we were never told like his house is like that far away from his shop you know like it's just he has this random apartment and He's there sometimes, and he's not there sometimes, you know? From what I saw, it looks like his house or whatever is probably a part of the suburbs in New Jersey or something like that. And depending on the commute from New York to off the island, uh, especially with his line of work where times can be all over the place for working, I think that he just kind of wrote it off as an apartment that he can sleep at sometimes. But I mean, also it shows that his wife was kind of absent minded and didn't care about their marriage anyways in the first place. So I don't think it bothered her that much, even if he was doing anything there. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a nice apartment. Like, I mean, like, and I I believe like the whole family was aware of it because there's that one scene where the kid has to run up with him and like the mom, like the mom or the wife's aware of it and everything. And then my last question was kind of like, what happened to the winnings, you know? So that girl has the winnings, but then she's going to find out that the main character is dead. Like, what's she going to do? Like, will she, like, share some of it with the wife and, like, the kids? Or is she going to, like, keep it all, you know? Like, no, okay. she, won't, she won't share it with wife and kids. She's the mistress. Like, they don't even know she exists. Well, like, they know she exists, but they don't know who she is. Yeah, you know? I would. I think that that's one of the parts I like about the movie. I like. I liked how it just ended with Sandler and his friend getting shot and it didn't like 
it didn't give this Goodfellas type ending where it shows them going off into citizens, it into uh, witness protection. Witness protection. And it, yeah. it was just it just kind of ended there. And I think that obviously the story didn't end with him getting murdered, but the story of Ratner did. And even though she had all the money. She wasn't exactly the main part of the story. She was just she was just kind of a pawn in in Ratner's gambling addiction. But I I can see why like that is a valid question on what mm-hmm. happened to the money. But my guess would be that she kept it. She kept it. Um, would she pay off the sharks too? Like, I mean, no, she's probably just gonna keep it and then leave. Getting back to Alex's point, I I agreed to an extent about the intensity and the dialogue i thought that i i still really like the intensity of the movie and i i think that it did make me feel anxious but i do agree that for the most part in the first half of the movie like there are sometimes where i just could not hear the dialogue like i would go up to yeah. my tv and turn it up and it wouldn't get any better like i i thought maybe it was it was a sound issue with my tv or in my room but it it, it really was just like the sound mixing and I think they did get better, and that was kind of by design, but that's not necessarily something that I agree with. I, I think that by design, making it harder to listen was okay, but I think they maybe went too extreme with it. But, yeah. Ben, what do, ben, what do you think? Uh, it was it was clearly an artistic choice. That's not something you do by accident, just by screwing the mixing that badly. But I think that it did, to the points I already made, I think it really encapsulated in you and the world. It kind of drove your focus into watching the screen and seeing what was happening because it was an assault on your um, on your ears and you had to focus because you were being attacked from that front. But I totally understand why it'd be a turn off for some people and just get distracting easily uh, because that's definitely one aspect of movie making that if you get wrong will alienate some of your audience. What was, unless anyone else has more negative, what was everyone's favorite scene? Probably, probably the ending, just because, like, it seems like they definitely worked hard on it. I, I thought it was really impressive how Adam Sandler was reacting to the, I don't, I, like I said, I don't know how hard that would have been, but I thought it was, like, watching the scene at the end where he's, like, reacting to the game, I thought that was kind of impressive of how, uh, Adam, Sandler, Adam Sandler also knows basketball, like, he's a huge basketball fan, so I, I thought that. I thought that was another important detail of casting him in this role was he understood the game and like I bet he understands sports bets to a to like an extent. So I think he kind of understood kind of the main premise. So watching him react to the game was really cool and like the intensity was high even though I didn't really care that much. So I thought probably the ending part where he was uh you know reacting to the game. Um I mean mine was probably when there was a like family dinner and um one of the loan sharks is actually like, wasn't he like related to? Like, it's his father-in-law. Father-in-law, and like mm-hmm. just kind of like that scene, and like it's like showing how like the whole the rest of the family has like no idea what's going on, and it's just these two like looking at each other from across like the table, and it's pretty like it kind of like caught my eye because it's like wow like everyone else is just has no idea, you know. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like. I did like that scene. I think I'm going to agree with Alex, though. I really liked the scene where the basketball game was going on, and it was 
going back and forth between Sandler rea- Sandler's reaction and uh, Julia Fox's reaction, I thought that was really well done. And it going from the office to the casino to the basketball game was a really good way of showing just the intensity of it from all different sides. I thought I thought it was really well done and like Alex said, pretty impressive. Um, who was the guy that she went to the penthouse with? Uh, I think uh, he was just, just a friend of Sandler or something. Oh. Uh, I don't know if that was like a celebrity or what? someone that I didn't get. I don't know. Who it was wasn't it? wasn't a friend of Sandler. It was just like some weirdo that she met on the ride up there. Yeah. But they were like on the just, same helicopter. Just like some random know. creep. Yeah, they were yeah, on the same I mean, helicopter, like, which that makes sense. It makes sense to share a helicopter. I'm pretty sure he said Blade. I'm pretty sure that's like basically just Uber, but with helicopters. Probably. <laughs> so yeah, she might have just like shared it. Ben, what was your favorite um, scene? Um, definitely the ending is up there in contention with you guys on his whole encouraging and watching the game and the orchestral uh, build behind. And, uh, as well as Arno sort of like coming around and becoming to become more on Ratner's side of the whole ordeal. But honestly, I think one of my favorite parts was just the uh, kidnapping scene where he's kidnapped outside of his uh, daughter's play. It's sort of all of the elements of the film coming together, excluding Julie Fox. Sorry, Alex. Uh, where Damn. it deals with his family life and his troubles but also the realization that he's related to Arno and just those two main characters that are uh, competing against each other meeting and having a confrontation in a sort of like claustrophobic way of being trapped inside this car so I think that about does it for our uncut gems review do we want to get into our grades and Isaac if you're not familiar we do just on a scale of 1 to 10, what you thought of the movie. Right. Who, wants, who wants to start? I'll, start uh, I'll go. Oh, yeah, you oh, go. Oh, never mind, Isaac. No, Isaac, you're the guest. You go ahead. Okay. I guess, I don't know, like an 8, an 8.5. Like, up there, but not a 10. Why? Um, honestly, it would be a 10 if they added uh, J.R. Smith, but just <laughs> an 8 with Kevin Garnett. <laughs> That's what you're thinking the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, it was it was a good movie. I liked it. I would watch it again. Yeah, we get it. Alex, uh, I'll give it a seven. I wanted I want to give it a six, but I think I give the interview and Dave both a six, and I did like this better than I did those. But I also don't feel like it it is a seven. So I, I'm I'm kind of. I'm kind of conflicted, but uh, I think I'm going to go with a seven. Like I said, I, I liked it stylistically. I thought the acting was good. Uh, I just the storyline and the plot were kind of confusing, and the, the mixing was bad. But I don't think that's anything to knock it below a seven, you know. So I'll, I'll go with the seven. I I enjoyed it. I might watch it again. But I'm not, definitely not going to like seek it out, you know. I remember you was conflicted. Uh. <laughs> For me, personally, I'll just give it an 8. Uh, a lot of the other points I made um, is why I think it's a very positive film, but also just the second time re-watching it, it wasn't as great as I remembered it. 
but I mean, it's still definitely a worthwhile film, and I'm very excited to see what the Safety brothers do next. Uh, before you before you give your grade, Jake, sorry to interrupt, but that's one thing I was thinking about. Ben was like, like I didn't really get the intensity or like the like the high stakes of it this first watch, and I was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll get the second watch, but like I know how it ends, so I don't think I'll get that same feeling for it, you know. So I think this is one of those films that like. Like, you can still be, like, on the edge of your seat watching it, but the end, you're not going to be on the edge of your seat as you, as you were the first time you watched it, you know? Because you know the ending. And I think that's, well, that's the case with a lot of movies. I think it's, like, this movie is definitely the exception where, like, we've talked about the whole time, they do do the intensity of it so well. And I think, like, recreating that initial feeling you have your first watch through is going to be hard to, you know, get on your second, third, fourth, etc., you know? You yeah, do really, true. you do watch the loan sharks a little bit more closely, and you can sort of pick up on the sort of shifting uh, mindset that they have. But besides that, you're right in that estimation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll I'll give it seven point seven five. I think I I liked it a little less than Ben, but this isn't a movie that I necessarily loved, but I definitely enjoyed watching it. And I think just be consistent with my ratings, comparing it to Goodfellas and Spotlight and other movies we watched. I think on a scale of rewatchability, it's a 7.75. Also, shout out Ethiopia. I mean, you're going to round your review to the thousand? Like... What? We don't, ra- we don't round on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think Sorry, uh, last week I gave, what, Dave a, it was like a 6.3 or something like that. I like to go a little bit, I, I like to go to the 10th. Jake's the bad boy. Yeah. Jake's the bad boy of the podcast. I'll change mine to an 8.5764. Okay. okay. All right, that's a little okay. extreme. That's a little extreme. All right. All right. Hey, we don't, we don't deal well with nerds on this podcast. Yeah. All right, so... We just talked about a movie that was about sports gambling and how intense it was. And also, a documentary that is extremely related to sports gambling, The Last Dance, which was a documentary about 50% about the 1998 bowl season, which which was titled The Last Dance by their head coach Phil Jackson because Jerry Krause and... Uh, the owner, Ryan Storff, pretty much said, like, this is it. This is going to be your last time together, mainly due to their incompetence running an organization, which we can spend an entire show on all that. But anyways, it was it was a documentary that Hop Timelines, which I, for one, loved. It went back and forth from the 1998 season to all the way down to Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan's childhood. So... It, it's a movie that really covers every aspect and every angle to Michael Jordan's career and personal life. And I thought, I personally thought it was really good, but I, I just want to get into what you guys thought, your pros and cons, what you like and what you didn't. Uh, I, I really liked it. I thought this was a really good documentary. Uh, it's the second documentary we covered. Uh, comparing it to the first docu- documentary recovered in Tiger King, I think I liked it more than Tiger King. Uh, mainly number one because it was something I was a little more interested in. Uh, but number two, I thought, 
you know the production was a bit higher i thought the 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 directors and the producers actually knew what they were doing a little more while the tiger king like the the guy that directed the tiger king i forgot his name but i think that was kind of his first real like big documentary and so i think the last dance people kind of knew a little bit more what they were doing uh from an actual like filmmaking standpoint i thought it was done really well all seeing all the behind the scenes footage was really interesting seeing kind of because we're so used to seeing these guys on the court and playing a sport and like in post-game interviews but we're not used to seeing like them in their everyday lives or interacting just with you know security guards or fans or stuff like that so i thought that was really cool to see especially footage that hasn't really been released yet and i thought it was felt it felt really not personal but like like I felt closer to the athletes than just watching them, you know, play the actual game. And so I thought that was really fun to see. I thought all the interviews were awesome. I thought the it's been it's been said before, but the having Michael Jordan react to interviews on the iPad is one of the most genius like documentary like ideas I've ever seen. It was so entertaining and so funny and uh like bringing that to mind the one thing that comes to mind is I think it was episode like 6 uh wait i think it was episode eight uh the gary payton when uh gary payton was like describing how he like defended mj and then mj just straight up laughed at him that was one of the most disrespectful things i have ever seen and i loved every second of it and i thought i thought this was just really well done all throughout listening to michael jordan's thought process was so interesting and so just like just a cool thing to experience i i love the documentary it was awesome yeah yeah i think that any sports fan and any NBA fan knows the story of Michael Jordan. He was a kid, grew up in North Carolina, got cut from the JV basketball team, went to North Carolina, won a national championship, drafted by the Bulls, won some championships, was really good, retired, went to baseball, and then won some more championships. And I think that that alone is enough to make a documentary, a 10-part documentary, but on top of that, there was the death of his father. There was his relationship with teammates, the relationship with how he treated opponents, his competitiveness, his his drama with other NBA players, with the Dream Team. Like there was so much just to unpack in this, and I think they easily could have made it a ten part or a twenty part documentary. Like the the career of Michael Jordan is that interesting, and there's so many different angles to why he's heavily considered the greatest basketball player of all time. And I think that this documentary one was genius for being made by him because I mean, he made himself look good, which if I made a documentary about myself, I would too, but for sure, Michael Jordan makes himself look really good in this documentary. And it's a really good time for this to be released. I thought I thought he did like you said it was produced by him or created or whatever. I thought he did a good job of tackling the issues that maybe he probably doesn't want to talk about like you know his gambling or his father's death or you yeah. know like how like his beef with Isaiah Thomas or stuff like that. I thought he did a really good job of uh, controlling what he did want to get in and out of the film but also like he knew that like you can't have a documentary a 10 part series about my career and only talk about the positives like you, like you got to yeah. talk about the negatives and i thought that was a really good choice on michael jordan's part of being really kind of open and vulner- vulnerable in these things that maybe he doesn't really want to talk about you know yeah, yeah. and kind of like piggybacking off of what you said like the timing like the timing was perfect like when this came out everyone was just kind of like we needed basketball and um like 
we just we were like wanting to get more basketball and the lottery had just got pushed back and like there was no games going on and then this came out and it was just what we were craving for so long you know if that makes sense yeah yeah i mean it, the ratings uh like 6.1 i think the first week got 6.1 million viewers which was higher than mm-hmm. game 7 of the world series earlier that year so this is this was at a time where there are no live sports obviously now like golf and nascar and and stuff along those lines are coming back but for the most part like this was the first real live event for a while and i was pretty active on twitter while watching it live tweeting some of the things i liked didn't like but it, it felt it felt cool to to be back in kind of that atmosphere yeah we couldn't have you not tweet about it right jake yeah it'd be weird <laughs> um a couple of the points made uh one of you guys said uh it was nice to see a behind the scenes for these players that we usually see play uh but i don't know about you guys but i was born in 2000 so it was really cool being able to see this whole dominant dynasty and era of basketball being shown on full display and behind the scenes and showing how dominant that the Bulls were actually and how that encapsulated culture far beyond just the limits of sports. So can we talk about how incredible, like, the camera work was in the games? Like, I don't... Mm -hmm. Even though, like, obviously videography and photography have developed so much over the last 25 years, whatever camera, whatever, whatever stylistic, whatever lighting was in the arena back then looks so much better than it does now. And that's not saying now looks bad, but there was just something about the lighting in the, in the smaller arenas and whatever uniforms they're wearing that just makes it, it just makes everyone pop off and it looks so good. And it, so it really that, is specific to the 90s era. So if I, if I get a little, you know, camera nerd about that real quick. Um, so uh, if, you, if you were following The Last Dance, like you saw, like... Uh, after each episode, people are talking about like the great photography that happened during like the 90s and the 80s of the Michael Jordan era. And so the photography, like right now we have digital photography, which most people should know. But if you don't, digital photography is just like a can like there's like a microchip in a camera, like on your phone or whatever. And you hit the you hit the you hit the button to take the picture, and then the the camera takes an actual photo of just what's going on. So like the lighting is just like what it captures so as opposed to film photography where it's an actual film role and when you hit the button to take a picture uh the pic the way you're trying to take a picture of like is stamped on the film and it's just digital well digital photography like the all like the making things pop in the lighting is all has has to do actually with the lighting and the reaction to the camera and so when you take a digital photo it just captures like the picture of the lighting as opposed to when you take a photo with a film camera or a film video camera. Uh, the the lighting is reacting with the film and that's how you get that such cool look. Uh, that like it's they all it's so famous on all like old Michael Jordan photos and stuff like that is because of the lighting reacting with the camera as opposed to the camera taking a picture of the lighting. If that makes sense. Okay, nerd, back to sports. Hey, I thought it was an interesting idea, or an interesting <laughs> fact. Sorry, Jake hit the nerd. Jake hit the nerd button. I just made a nerd comment. <laughs> oh, Jake I did it. Jake brought up uh, 
you brought up uh, all the different camera work and i actually have a note when watching like one of the three notes i put was so many damn dutch angles like <laughs> whenever it'd show them like going up for a dunk it'd always just be a crooked like 45 degree angle and that bothered me not necessarily because it was ugly to yeah, look at but I, just I like because it's so 90s Isaac, what's some stuff you liked about it? Um, definitely the my favorite scene was when um, really I don't know it was some bench warmer. He was crying over he like won the championship. Scott Burrell. Yeah, and Michael yeah. came up to him and was like, like why are you crying? I like won that for you. And like it was kind of like showed like not really his cockiness, but like his like his intensity. His intensity and like all that and that it was kind of made you laugh but then again like would you want that as a teammate like a man that intense that he's gonna tell you stuff like that like i know i there would be pros and cons like you have the best player and like a generation on your team but at the same time do you go to a practice one day and you don't like go 100 percent you're getting punched in the face like there's definitely pros and pros and cons but um Really, it kind of like showed me how just a different side of Michael Jordan that I never really saw. Like, you really get caught up in like the statistics and not like the actual person. And it kind of showed you the actual person, like Michael, the actual person that Michael Jordan was. And like you guys said, the good parts and even the bad parts of him with the gambling and and his father passing away. But also, it kind of showed same thing with Steve Kerr about um, his dad too, how. He kind of had to deal with that, like Steve Kerr's dad getting murdered and stuff. So, I mean, did a really good job about that. I mean, what I didn't like is I think they should have showed more of Dennis Rodman cause, just because that man's just a hoot. But, like, other than that, I liked it. If you want to see more Dennis Rodman, go watch The Bad Boys 30 for 30 on ESPN. All right. Sorry, Jake, go ahead. My guess would be the reason they didn't show that much Dennis Rodman, because they showed quite a bit, but I'd, I'd agree. I kind of felt wanting more. But the ESPN 30 for 30 films documentary over the bad boys, which are the Detroit Pistons in 1988 and 89, really goes in depth on Dennis Rodman's upbringing and personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it wasn't on Pistons and then the was he on the Spurs. Yeah, and then and the Lakers. Oh, yeah, he was on the Lakers. Yeah, I the think. Bulls. Yeah. And then after I, the Bulls, I, didn't he play for the ABA? Right? I don't know. <laughs> it's not important. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 you guys pointed out you, you do want more of Dennis Rodman, and I think, I think Jake makes a good point where uh, on the topic of 30 for 30s, this honestly is probably my favorite 30 for 30 ever, which I think it's kind of a given. They put so much time and effort, and it's so long, and like, if it, if it didn't come away as my favorite 30 for 30, then I guess they did a bad job, or I just didn't pay enough attention. But my second favorite for 30 for 30 is the is the Bad Boy Pistons one, and I think that's kind of interesting to compare though that documentary to this one because the Pistons and the Bulls were such rivals, and like you, 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 in the Bad Boy Pistons one, like they're painted out as the hero, and this one they're kind of painted out as the villain. Wow. Like also in the Detroit Pistons one, like they acknowledge like we just dis- like when people started calling us the villain as opposed to fighting back on that, we're just like okay, we are the villain, and we gave into it, and then that's how we played. And I think 
and the, I think seeing that from their perspective and also seeing that from the Bulls' perspective of them actually being these villains, Isaiah Thomas not really being the guy that people thought Isaiah Thomas was and how Michael Jordan views Isaiah Thomas. I thought that was all super interesting uh, for me being a fan of both documentaries. So I thought that was a really cool thing yeah. to like back and forth to watch. Yeah, I'd actually – I was thinking about this the other day. Mine might go the other way. I think The Bad Boys is still my favorite 30 for 30 of all time, and I think The Last Dance falls in second for me. So I, mm-hmm. I found that interesting that it went the other direction for you. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, in a documentary like this, there's obviously so much to like, but I think the only thing I didn't like was how it was produced by Michael Jordan's company. I think that if this was produced from a totally neutral point of view then i think that it would i think it would be a little more fair and a little more of a documentary from a journalist perspective and i know that obviously michael jordan is 95 percent greatness but i really do think that they undercut what was behind his gambling and they undercut what was behind the flu game and i think they undercut like kind of how he was as a teammate and I think that a lot of this painted him as the good guy in a lot of situations when in reality, I believe he was painted as the bad guy. But I think that really is just nitpicking and it does leave it up for interpretation. I think, uh, I, personally, I thought it was interesting going into the first episode of the documentary when the quote from MJ came out and he said, you're not going to like, like, this is going to paint me in a bad light. Like, you're not going to think about me the same after. He totally said that as just a reason for people to watch it because this i think so this in no way painted yeah. as a bad way like i thought bef- no i mean before I mean, this I everyone before this everyone thought that the reason he left to go play baseball was strictly because of gambling and i walked away thinking like there's no way it's because of gambling like it was 100 percent because his dad died like i think that uh and, and even like with the jordan rules I think the Bad Boys documentary painted Jordan a lot worse than this did. I don't think that in any single way Jordan came off looking worse than he did uh, before it. I mean, like, if you watch, there's a documentary out that came out last Sunday. It was about uh, Lance Armstrong, and it just made him look just like a complete jerk. And, like, kind of (laughs) painted, like, that dude was not a good guy. And like, well, Lance Armstrong is actually kind of a douche. No, he's actually, he's actually, actually a very bad person. Yeah. But anyway, anyway like, cont- yeah. continue, Isaac. Like, that documentary didn't really hide anything. And like you're saying with how Jordan came out with this documentary, his company, it kind of like, yeah, underlines some kind of stuff. But with that Lance documentary, he's like, oh, yeah, I use this, this, and this. And yeah, man, that's all I got to say about it. Uh, Jake, you made happens. a point where, <laughs> uh, Jake, you made a point where you said, uh, you thought that Jordan's comment was, like, like he said that on purpose so people would like go into it thinking that oh it's she's gonna look bad and then like he looks good, like kind of a reverse psychology type thing. Where I disagree. I think, I think there were things that made like, like they I think they did portray ways. Like the like the time when uh, Steve Kerr and him got into it in practice and he punched Steve Kerr in the face and like and then like he had that quote where he said uh, he had that quote where he's like I, I felt bad because I punched the littlest guy on the court and it was like 
like I thought like stuff like I thought they did portray him in a bad way like at times but I thought where it came off that like he wasn't as bad as they were trying to portray him where they let him explain a bit and obviously like the, he knew this stuff was coming and so he, he obviously probably prepared a little story or explanation or stuff about it but I thought I, I came away from this documentary having a greater appreciation for Michael Jordan than I already did not because I didn't really fully understand like how great he was because i knew he was great but i just his personality and his mindset and just the way he attacked everything i i came up with a greater appreciation because he was a winner and he 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 would go to all ends to win and i thought when when he said like you're going to come away with this with a different opinion of me i thought he i thought he did sincerely mean that because i can't see people seeing him like like uh, that Wizards player that like he's like oh hey good game Mike and then he like but it turned out Michael Jordan made up that story just to, like give himself motivation I can see why people watch this and think oh this man's a crazy person you know he's insane he 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 doesn't care about other people's feelings all he cares about is winning so I could see why people would come out away with that but being such a such a, a competitive guy myself and such a and such an avid sports fan and lover of you know basketball and michael jordan i it made me appreciate his greatness even more and not hate him you know yeah my my counter to that is everyone going into the documentary knew he punched steve kerr in the face and i didn't i had no idea <laughs> you didn't I oh no i didn't oh i always thought that was just like a unknown mm-hmm. basketball fact but no i i knew that going into it and it definitely portrayed him a lot better in it than like I think an unbiased story would have but that's just me and I think that obviously almost all of Michael was greatness so it it really is just nitpicking the 5% do we want to get into our biggest winners and losers of the documentary uh yeah do you want to like do you want to give like a list of them or just like random things or like a top three or something like that um we can just do a list of what everyone has i can uh, i can kick it off okay do you want to hear do you want to go with one winner and one loser for each uh i had about five of each but i can just okay. read over them kind of okay quick. then yeah never mind just never mind just do just do what you want then so for my biggest winners obviously michael jordan the the movie was a or the documentary is about him he walked away looking a lot better than ever, and that's that was by design. Steve Kerr, I've always I've always liked Steve Kerr. I've liked how he's coached. I, I liked him as a player, but the one episode that really did center around him painted a, an emotional side that I didn't exactly know that was there. And I think that made me really appreciate Steve Kerr as a person and as a player so much more. Alex, you're probably going to disagree with me on this one, but Gary Payton walked away as a winner. <laughs> I think that... Okay. okay. Um, although I do agree with Michael's competitiveness and a lot of his stances in this, it's an undeniable fact that Gary Payton locked Michael Jordan down in the 1993 NBA Finals. As soon as George Carl made the decision to put Gary Payton on Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan shot 30%... 36% from the field opposed to 45% and average 10 less points a game. Michael can laugh all he wants at it, but Gary was the best was the best perimeter defender in the league and not he didn't lock Michael Jordan down, but he slowed him down more than any other player had in his entire career. And I mm-hmm. I won't hear any other. I 
I think it was funny that Michael laughed at him, but I also do think that Gary Payton can walk away can walk away and say if George Carl put me on him that whole series it might have been different. So I got two more. Reggie Miller, I mean, he was only really in one episode of this, but he hit a game winner and he came off as just in total a total awesome basketball player. Reggie was really good. He's a terrible commentator though. Yeah, awful commentator. And my final one, I think Isaiah Thomas. I think that Mm -hmm. the one critique I would have of Michael Jordan is his handling of the Dream Team. And he even came out like yesterday and said that he he didn't want Isaiah on the Dream Team. And I think that Isaiah makes a really good point. He actually made it on ESPN the other day, and he said if if Michael didn't want me on the team, I'd rather him would have just said that instead of lying. And I think that the reason Isaiah wasn't on the team was because MJ was intimidated by him. And all in all, Isaiah owned Michael Jordan for the better part of his career, and MJ wasn't able to beat him until he got Scottie Pippen. I think Isaiah Thomas walked away as a winner in this series. My my losers all kind of glanced through those. The obvious Scottie Pippen. Scotty, other than the redeeming quality he had in Game 6 of the 1998 NBA Finals, he came away kind of looking like a jerk with the contract negotiations and um, sitting out when Phil Jackson didn't drop a play for him in the final minute. Jerry Krause, that's self-explanatory if you watch the documentary. Terrible GM. Um, He did get the most out of his players, though, by being a bad GM. I thought. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, actually, I'll let you finish, and then I'll, I'll I'll have a comment, Jake. My bad. LeBradford Smith, the Washington Bullets player you mentioned, he scored like 36 points on Michael Jordan, and supposedly said good game to him after, but instead of just letting it go, MJ made up a fake story so he could end his career the next game. That was just disrespectful. And then Clyde Drexler. Called him, said he was better than MJ, and then MJ went on to destroy him in the 1992 finals. Sorry, that was a lot, but those are my winners and losers of this documentary. And there are a lot more, but those were, I just thought, the most noteworthy. Uh, so, I'll actually, I'll just do next, because this, my losers kind of tie into your yours, too. So, my loser, I'm just going to go with one for each. Uh, my loser was actually I, I might have a couple. Anyway, my loser, my main loser was Jerry Krause, and I think I heard, I heard a quote uh, just watching reviews of the documentary about Jerry Krause that uh, th- that I thought fit perfectly, and it was uh, what was the quote? It was Jerry Krause wanted more credit than he deserved, but he deserved more credit than he got. And I don't think there's a better way to explain him because he did build the super team and he did get the most out of his players. But he got the most out of his players, and he built this uh, because they absolutely despised him as, as a person, and they didn't like him. And so I thought uh, I, I thought that was kind of a fun – obviously, it did paint him as a villain, but I thought that was kind of a fun storyline to watch. My other loser, uh, Gary Payton, just because, like you said, he did end up locking Michael Jordan down. But I just thought MJ laughing at that was just so disrespectful, even if it was true. And I just – it was easily the funniest part of the whole documentary, and I just – I mean, even if it, even if he did lock him down, it was just I don't think there's any any coming back from that uh, for Gary Payton. Uh, my biggest winner, 
uh, two since I had two losers. Number one, Michael Jordan. Clearly, uh, like I said, I earlier I came away with a greater respect of him as a as a competitor. Maybe not as a person, but as a straight competitor and basketball player. I mean, I learned a lot of being a leader. And he he had a, he had another great quote where he didn't ask people to do anything that he didn't do himself. And I thought that was a part of being a good leader. I thought that is a good quality to have is holding you know your teammates, your your coworkers, your peers accountable, and not asking anything that you wouldn't do or have done. You know, and I thought that was a good a good way to take away. I would maybe. I maybe wouldn't go about it the way that Michael Jordan did, but it definitely like is something that stuck in my mind, and I'm definitely gonna try to implement when I you know have to lead at a certain time. Uh, and then my second winner is uh, I think Dennis Rodman came away as I think I think Dennis Rodman is more known for his off the court post retirement personality, you know, being friends with Kim Jong Un, kind of you know doing some crazy stuff. He's the he's the he's the NBA crazy guy, like all this. You know, he dyes his hair, he hangs out with celebrities, you know, he does all this stuff. But I thought, uh, like we said before, if you want to learn more about him, the Bad Boy Pistons would be a better thing to watch if you actually want to learn more about Dennis Rodman. But I think this portrayed him as, I think, watching The Last Dance, people kind of appreciated who he was more of a player and how he was very important. I think it actually showed off. Uh, the part where he was talking about how different players' shots spin off the rim differently, and that's like how you know like where to be for a rebound. I thought that was super interesting to hear, because uh, we don't really hear mu- much of, about him as a basketball player. He's just like, all right, he was on the dream team. He won, you know, however many championships with Michael Jordan, and then also he's like crazy off the field. So I thought it was super. I thought I came away with this appreciating Dennis Rodman more as a player, as a person, because he isn't. He, he, he just talked about – I think it was like an all-star game where people booed him. And, you know, Dennis Rodman isn't – while he was a tough guy on the court, he, he's a very soft guy off the court. And so booing him really does affect him. And I, I, I came up with a better appreciation of him as a person, as a player. And, I you know, while he does do some, you know, questionable stuff, crazy stuff, I still think that at the end of the day he's a super interesting guy that deserves more credit than, than he got as a player, you know while he was playing and even after he's done playing, you know? Uh, so uh, those are my two for each. Ben, what were some of your biggest winners and losers? Mine's going to be a lot shorter than your guys's were. Uh, for losers, I just had one big fat one and that was Jerry Krause. They just made him look <laughs> like, <laughs> they just made him look like a cartoon villain. Like he doesn't even seem like a real person whenever you're watching him, just like waddle around. And then, like, Michael, <laughs> J- Michael Jordan just making fun of him. <laughs> it's just, like, I mean, you can kind of understand, like, being that person and how bad that would feel. But, like, the way the whole story is set up with how epic of a dynasty this is and how great of a story it was and how uh, I think one of the commentators, like, for one of the games even made the point where it's, uh, this is such a great story, and you don't want to see it taken down by a man in a suit. You want to see it be taken down by a team. I feel like Jerry was like that mustache-twirling villain that was mis- um, uh, mistakenly portrayed as such and might have been that man in the suit who might have taken down that dynasty. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I saw him as a loser because, I mean, you can't come away looking like that guy's a winner. And for winners, this is kind of general, but all of the 90s rap that they included throughout the whole series, because all of that was like, that slapped. That was really good. 
Oh, you like you like that outcast they had in there, didn't you, Ben? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. They got that. Everybody moved to the back of the wall. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jake. Uh, <laughs> they, got that like they got that tribe called Quest. It's all good. <laughs> Isaac, did you have any others that stood out? No, not really. I didn't know I was supposed to do this. I mean, Patrick Ewing. He kind of looked like a B word. Rams are oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can. Alex, yeah, Alex, that, I'll stop you. The you said that the Gary Payton part was the most disrespectful part. Scotty mm-hmm. Pippen dunking over Patrick Ooh, Ewing and stepping over yeah. him is the single most disrespectful play in NBA history. I oh, actually, yeah. I get like mad when I watch that. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you became the Arthur meme watching that scene. <laughs> like, like the clenched fist. <laughs> like, I, Isaac, is that why you said the documentary was overrated? Because it just it, like there was no positives of the Knicks. It was just Michael Jordan just destroying them the whole time. Well, it was like it wasn't my first time watching it like that episode, but like it was just kind of like I just was like yeah, I'll throw it on, and it like came on to that scene. I was like, well, why? Like, <laughs> they didn't have to include that. <laughs> like, like I just want to enjoy like my night, and that shit came on, and I was like, gosh. <laughs> I think you're doing the Stephen A in front of the Isaac window because point. they ruined your night. <laughs> <laughs> I am so upset. I think no. Isaac. I, I think Isaac makes a good point where I think Patrick Ewing is kind of like, like the most low key loser in this whole thing because he had a quote where he's like, I don't like he said he wasn't gonna watch it because he lived through it. And uh, I was listening to uh, I was listening to another review of it and they were talking about Patrick Ewing and uh, they were talking about just how like. Like, it's understandable he's not watching it because Patrick you like, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan both got the better of each other. You know, my uh, yeah. Magic Johnson and MJ got the best of each other. But Patrick Ewing was so great for so long, but the one person he could never beat was Michael Jordan and the Bulls. The Bulls always got the best of Patrick Ewing. Michael Jordan always got the best of Patrick Ewing, whether it was in high school or uh, college or the NBA or whenever. Like, Patrick Ewing never beat Michael Jordan in anything, and I thought that was such a funny, like, low-key part of the of the documentary to watch unless yeah. you guys have anything else do you guys want to get into your ratings of it Still uh, yeah i got nothing i think that like you could do a 10-hour show on this episode on on this documentary but we i think we covered a lot of the <laughs> basics about it mm-hmm. if, if our fans are interested though in an in-depth review i'd be more than more than willing but I, I think I'll get into I'll get into my rating of it. I I'm gonna give it a nine and a half out of ten, and I would just I would scale this, and there's probably only like five or six forms of TV movies and documentaries that I would consider a ten, and I think that the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons one is one of them, and if that's a ten, I think that this is about as close as it gets, and I'm I'm actually gonna move it up from a nine and a half to like. A 9.75. I thought this documentary was so well made. I, as a basketball geek and a 90s basketball nerd, I think that, like, this was just entertaining all 10 hours. There was barely any parts where I was bored. I just loved it, and I'll I'll give it a 9.75. Uh, I'll give it I'll give it a 10. Uh, I this is I think this is the first 10 we've ever given on the show. So, uh, hit that hit that 10 button, Jake. 
Uh, but I, I loved it. I mean, there I don't think there's a whole lot I would change about it. Uh, it was so interesting. I think I, giving it a 10 partly was because it was done so well, but also being a big basketball fan as I am, it was more interesting than like a Tiger King where while, I, while the Tiger King was interesting and I was invested and I did care about the story, the main subject wasn't anything I was super passionate about while basketball is, and this was also so well done. So I think just I, – I didn't – there was never a time watching this when I was bored. Like I was always invested. I was always entertained. Like each episode was – like it was there well, two episodes a night – uh, so it was like two hours total of this documentary, and it felt like you know twenty minutes. It just I was so invested, it went by so fast. So I I absolutely loved everything about it. Um, me personally, uh, I'm not the biggest documentary guy. I mean, I'm pretty sure the last thing, well, the last documentary I watched for school was like I don't know that killer whale one about Sea World. <laughs> yeah, AP Lang. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, shout out AP Lang. <laughs> Heck yeah, dog. Uh, but I don't know. I think like you guys keep on bringing up Tiger King for some reason, but just it's thinking, just, yeah, just okay. thinking back to when that was popular and like the only thing of the only purpose of why that was popular is just because wow, it's this huge zany thing. But then that fad was over in a week, easy, and like it's super cringy kind of to look back on now. But mm-hmm. the whole event of the 80s and 90s bulls is a cement is a cement fact in history that has been like a statement and a staple within culture that I think is important to get a more in-depth look on and I think that met that and met its requirement and didn't have much to mess up on but definitely did not really follow through with so I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten and our guest <sighs> 9 out of 10. One point taken off for pissing on Ewing. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's all I have. I No complaints except the ones I've already stated. Um, Ewing. Ewing. Everything else was great about it. Honestly, I can't complain. So, as always with our guests, we do... Their top five movies, but before we get into that, it is we are recording this on May 28th, so it's time to do our May viewings. And I actually watched a ton this month, so I might save myself for last. But if any of you wants to hop on, what TV movies and documentary documentaries you watched this month, uh, go ahead. Um, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, comparatively to the rest of my other months, usually on average, I did not watch a whole lot. Uh, but uh, what I did watch was Mississippi Grind, starring Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn, which fun Shout fact features the museum, which features the Balloon Museum, <laughs> the in Balloon Indiana. Museum, baby. So that's that's kind of epic. Getting the you know, map respect it deserves. Deadpool. <laughs> uh, but along with that, I watched the final season of Clone Wars. That was fun just to jump in with. Uh, it's a nice ending to a series that's easily accessible and great for any Star Wars fans. Um, oddly enough, I watched Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It was oh, just kind of on. Nerd. Hey, nerd. Jake, hit, hit the nerd button again. <laughs> no, have okay. me hitting the nerd button. There you go. You okay, just did it. Like, I'll see that. <laughs> You're welcome for that. So I'm here. Go back to talking about film, Alex. Um, <laughs> okay. But, and I also watched, uh, finished up Twin Peaks. 
um, the David Lynch series. It's iconic. I think you guys should check it out sometime. I thought you meant the restaurant for a second. It's like nice. <laughs> it was like a documentary about it. Okay, that, yeah. that, if so, then that's going to be the second 10 out of 10 on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but Hey-o. Hey-o. <laughs> I also watched uh, Clue, which is the dark comedy about a murder house. Yeah, it was, it's what the board game is based off of. And, uh, yeah, it was just really fun whodunit movie from the 80s, if you're into that sort of campy type of comedy like Airplane, which it's very similar to. And then lastly... We watched that middle school, didn't we? I doubt it. I think it was like 7th or 8th grade. I don't remember. I remember watching it, but I don't know if it's specifically the one you're talking about, Ben. I I remember not liking it if this is the same one. What's it called again? They show this one. Clue. Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Ben. Uh, I think we watched. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks no. for that. Uh, <laughs> and finally, I watched Moon, starring Sam Rockwell and featuring the voice of Kevin Spaceman Spacey. And uh, <laughs> that was a really good film. I recommend it to anybody. It's on Netflix. And yeah, that was my month. Isaac, would you watch this month? <sighs> I mean, I rewatched a lot of stuff, honestly. Um, just like just the other day, I watched the um the best movie ever, Paul Blart Mall Cop. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I was I was down at the Ozarks and we had bad Wi-Fi and it was on like HBO and I was like, <laughs> you had HBO and you watched Paul Blart. <laughs> <laughs> it was on. It was it was available. Oh no! Why did you tell that? <laughs> I mean, when when the grandma got hit by the milk truck, I laughed in front of my own grandma. Oh, you like, watched the second one? I watched all like. Oh all yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, there like a Paul Bart like there's like a mall cop like whole day, and I like just sat inside and watched it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. We love it. <laughs> um, I don't know what else did I watch? Uh, Tiger King, obviously, like obvious stuff like that. Um. After it was popular. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I just rewatched Good Boys. Um, what else? Well, I don't... I think... I mean, that's pretty much it. I didn't really... I didn't... Oh, I just watched the documentary I Hate Christian Like They're 30 for 30. Oh, that's a good one. That's a it's good a really one. That's good one. My, it's probably my third favorite 30 for 30. Honestly, that's my first. I loved it. It um, is really well done. Kind of, it brought up uh, my favorite bas- one of my favorite basketball players, JJ Redick, too. But um, I mean, that's what's wrong with JJ Redick? <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't think that would be the player you mentioned. That there's yeah, nothing I, wrong with JJ Redick. I thought you were gonna, honestly. I thought you were gonna say Christian Leitner. I'm like, I think whose favorite player is Christian Leitner? Oh, that guy's a dick. But um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, if, I mean, if you're hearing this, Christian Leitner, you're not a friend of the program. <laughs> Christian Leitner, not a friend of the program. <laughs> yeah, come at me, Christian Leitner. <laughs> um, that's pretty much it. I mean, nothing too special. Alex, what'd you watch? Um, so I'm kind of in the middle. I watched I watched a lot more towards the end of the month. Like this last two weeks, I've watched a lot. But I'll just get into it. I watched Silverlang's playbook a couple days ago. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, it was not. Oh, it's also got Robert De Niro. It was nominated for a Best Picture, which I think it's got a really nice social commentary on it. But as far as Best Picture, I don't think I would. 
it falls under the same category as kind of like a spotlight where it's more of a social con- – like it got now nominated more for the commentary it has rather than like the good story or like production or stuff. But I, I don't think I liked it as much that I would have nominated it for a best picture. But anyway, it was okay. I liked it. Uh, I watched Atlanta, which we reviewed. Uh, Dave, which we also reviewed. I watched Hell or High Water last week with Chris Pine. Watch Teller Highwater with Chris Bryan and Jeff Bridges. Uh, I really like this movie. I watching it the second time. I liked it the first time I watched it. Watching it the second time, I liked it more, uh, just because I, I there's just things that I caught onto that. Uh, it reminded me a lot of my favorite movie of all time, which I've gotten into, uh, No Country for Old Men. It reminded me a lot of that. Uh, just kind of like a modern day western, which I so I, I really liked Teller Highwater. Uh, have you also seen a uh, Sicario and a uh, Wind River, by chance? I've seen Wind River. I really, really liked Wind River. Shout out Jeremy Renner. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen Sicario, but I know what it is, so I probably have to get around to it. It's part of uh, Taylor Sheridan's uh, Three Elements of Wilderness trilogy. He like tried to write all three of them in the same vein, and I think it they all go to work together perfectly. That would be awesome. But so yeah, just modern day westerns. If you have a good modern day western, please suggest it to me because it's absolutely my favorite type of movie. Uh, I watched the interview, which we also uh, reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Django Unchained, which we reviewed. I'm continuing my that '70s show binge. Uh, I also watched Good Boys. Isaac, I think we watched it the same night, actually. Like it was on, it was on TV. I remember watching it with my dad, and then we went disc golfing the next day. And Isaac was like, "Oh, I watched that last night too," which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, I watched Inglorious Bastards, which is my second favorite movie of all time. Uh, and then the last movie I watched besides Uncut Gems was The Assassination of Jesse James by the Bastard Robert or by the Coward Robert Ford, which starring Brad Pitt, Casey Affleck, uh, 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 oh, who else? The guy from Parks and Rec. It there's a great cast on it, and uh, it it's more of a cult film, and it's it, I mean it was good. I liked it. It was another western. I'm a big western fan. If you haven't caught on. Uh, it was good. It was different, but I, I think it. I think it was really cool how they gave away the ending in the title, and it was, so the whole movie was just building up to that. I thought it was kind of an interesting style choice, and I, I liked it. It was a good movie. Uh, so that's what I watched. Uh, while I was doing kind of some just like research about things, I, I wrote down a couple notes uh, that I just thought would be funny. Uh, so After Earth, I don't know if you guys remember that. It's Will Smith and Jane Smith, and they live in like some dystopian future. Uh, that has 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, I just, I just kind of thought that was funny. Uh, the <laughs> last did didn't watch it. <laughs> I did watch it, but it has 11%. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, the Last Airbender, which is now on Netflix, the animated series, watched that. But the live-action remake has a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I thought hey. was even funny. Uh, and then also, uh, just a movie that I didn't watch this month, but I really liked, uh, on Netflix, uh, called Slow West, starring Michael Fassbender, so, it's kind of, it's only like an hour and a half, it's a short kind of indie film, but it's really good if you like westerns, so, that's all I got. A good Netflix movie I watched was The Wrong Missy. My, my parents watched that, and they said it was, even my parents said it was stupid, so I refused to watch that. What's it about? It was, it was very... So this guy is chilling, and he, um, hold on, let me think. Oh, he goes on a bad, yeah, yeah, it's the entire movie. No, he goes on this bad date with a girl named Missy, and she's, like, psycho. And he goes on, like, a, like, business trip to, like, Hawaii, 
but before that he runs into like some like babe at like an airport and um like they like do like the casual like they hit each other and like their luggage gets messed up whatever and then um anyway they, they're like a perfect match he's like a model so anyway he's gonna take her to hawaii but he brings like this psycho girl and like i don't know i watched it at joe's it was really funny um i also watched borat for the first time a couple a month ago or a couple months months ago when i thought that that a little preview that cracks my top five but i mean it was, it was a great movie all right, I'll I'll roll through mine since we're going a little long. Okay. So I watched Community, Atlanta, Dave, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Workaholics, Seinfeld, Rick and Morty, and, and Clone Wars. Uh, I watched like half of those all the way through, and then the other half I've just kind of been like watching an episode here and there. As far as movies go, I rewatched Rise of Skywalker on May the 4th. I watched Marriage Story. Django Unchained, Inglorious Bastards, Snowpiercer, The Interview, Taxi Driver, and of course Uncut Gems. Out of all those, really the only movie I didn't like um, outside of Rise of Skywalker was The Interview. I actually, hot take, I thought Taxi Driver was a little underwhelming, but we can talk about that in another movie. Or in you, another thought show. Driver was, you thought Taxi Driver was underwhelming? Yeah. I thought it's it was, defi- it's I thought it was too bit. slow of a burner. It's definitely like there's more of a message that they're trying con- to to convey and le- focus less on the story. I'll send you a, a video essay that's really interesting about it on YouTube. Sounds good. And then right. I, I, I also watched um, Last what? Dance and Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. You watched a lot of documentaries and TV this this month, then. I just watched a lot this month. It was... Oh, um, a good documentary to watch is uh, sorry. I'll stop. Or it's about Jeff Epstein. It just came out came out on oh, Netflix. My parent my parents are watching that right now. So I'll I'll, get, I'll give you guys the review next week. I watched all of it. It was good. Uh, so to finish off the show today or this week, Isaac, do you want to get into your top five movies? Yeah. So thanks for asking me. Um, number five probably is We Are Marshall. Just um, heartwarming movie. It's a great. Great tie. Was it? I watched it with my dad. It's just a good movie, just in general. That's all I have to say about that movie and nothing else. Um, <laughs> number four, um, like I said, was Borat. I watched it. <laughs> funny plot. He's a funny guy. I am Borat. You know, like just just a just a funny movie in general, and um, I liked it. I liked that one. And uh, what else do I have to say about that one? It's just funny. Like, just made me laugh. Um, number three. Can I do all the Jason Bourne movies for number three, or do I have to pick one? You can do all of them. So I do all of them, just because me and Matt kind of like grew up on those movies with my dad, and that's it. Um, number two. Oh, what was it? Hot Rod. Hot Rod is my two. Yeah, yeah. And probably name every scene in that movie, and um, just a great movie. Don't know what else to say about it. Bill Hader. Classic Bill Hader's in it. All the boys are in it. Um, just a classic, great movie, and that's it. And then t- number one, uh, Superbad. That's it. Oh, oh yeah. you and Alex. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Superbad. Great movie. That I have to say, Isaac. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, any more no. questions about we are Marshall? <laughs> nope, we are Marshall. That's it. It's a great movie. Heartwarming. <laughs> really? Well, no, oh, that is God. not a duck in the background. That's just Alex's laugh. Hey man, it's <laughs> funny. No, yeah. Well, that's gonna do it for this uh, week's show. We we talked about a lot and we went a little long. So if you made it this far, kudos to you. Isaac's you social media will be in the bio if you want to give him a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatnot. But I think unless you guys have any parting thoughts, that'll be it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast, and we will see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.